Section 47 of Reviews by Oscar Wilde. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Robin Cotter, July 2007. Reviews by Oscar Wilde. Edited by Robert Ross. Section 47. Some Novels. The only form of fiction in which real characters do not seem out of place is history. In novels they are detestable, and Miss Bale's romance is entirely spoiled as a realistic presentation of life by the author's attempt to introduce into her story a whole mob of modern celebrities and notorieties, including the heir apparent and Mr. Edmund Yates. The identity of the latter personage is delicately veiled under the pseudonym of Mr. Atlas, editor of the world, but the former appears as the Prince of Wales, pure et simple, and is represented as spending his time yachting in the channel and junketing at Hamburg with a second-rate American family, who, by the way, always address him as prince, and show in other respects an ignorance that even their ignorance cannot excuse. Indeed, His Royal Highness is no mere spectator of the story. He is one of the chief actors in it, and it is through his influence that the noisy Chicago Belle, whose lack of romance gives the book its title, achieves her chief social success. As for the conversation with which the prince is credited, it is of the most amazing kind. We find him on one page gravely discussing the depression of trade with Mr. Ezra P. Bale, a shoddy American millionaire, who promptly replies, "'Depression of fiddlesticks, prince!' In another passage he naively inquires of the same shrewd speculator whether the thunderstorms and prairie fires of the West are still on so grand a scale as when he visited Illinois. And we are told in the second volume that after contemplating the magnificent view from St. Ives he exclaimed with enthusiasm, "'Surely Mr. Brett must have had a scene like this in his eye when he painted Britannia's realm,' I never saw anything more beautiful. Even Her Majesty figures in this extraordinary story, in spite of the excellent aphorism, Ne touchez pas à la reine, and when Miss Alma J. Bale is married to the Duke of Windsor's second son, she receives from the hands of royalty not merely the customary cashmere shawl of court tradition, but also a copy of diaries in the Highlands inscribed to thee, Lady Plowden Eaton, with the kindest wishes of Victoria R.I. A mistake that the Queen, of all persons in the world, is the least likely to have committed. Perhaps, however, we are treating Miss Bale's romance too seriously. The book has really no claim to be regarded as a novel at all. It is simply a society paragraph expanded into three volumes, and, like most paragraphs of the kind, is in the worst possible taste. We are not by any means surprised that the author, while making free with the names of others, has chosen to conceal his own name, for no reputation could possibly survive the production of such silly, stupid work. 
but we must say that we are surprised that this book has been brought out by the publishers in ordinary to Her Majesty the Queen. We do not know what the duties attaching to this office are, but we should not have thought the issuing of vulgar stories about the royal family was one of them. From Heather Hills is a very pleasant reading indeed. It is healthy without being affected, and though Mrs. Perks gives us many descriptions of Scotch scenery, we are glad to say that she has not adopted the common chromolithographic method of those popular North British novelists who have never yet fully realized the difference between color and colors, and who imagine that by emptying a paint-box over every page they can bring before us the magic of mist and mountain, the wonder of sea or glen. Mrs. Perks has a grace and delicacy of touch that is quite charming, and she can deal with nature without either botanizing or being blatant, which nowadays is a somewhat rare accomplishment. The interest of the story centers on Margaret Dalrymple, a lovely Scotch girl who is brought to London by her aunt, takes every one by storm, and falls in love with young Lord Aaronwood, who is on the brink of proposing to her when he is dissuaded from doing so by a philosophic man of the world who thinks that a woodland Artemis is a bad wife for an English peer, and that no woman who has a habit of saying exactly what she means can possibly get on in smart society. The would-be philosopher is ultimately hoist within his own petard, as he falls in love himself with Margaret Dalrymple, and as for the weak young hero, he is promptly snatched up, rather against his will, by a sort of Becky Sharp, who succeeds in becoming Lady Erinwood. However, a convenient railway accident, the Du et Machina, of nineteenth-century novels, carries Miss Norma Novello off and everybody is finally made happy, except, of course, the philosopher, who gets only a lesson where he wanted to get love. There is just one part of the novel to which we must take exception. The whole story of Alice Morgan is not merely needlessly painful, but it is of very little artistic value. A tragedy may be the basis of a story, but it should never be simply a casual episode. At least, if it is so, it entirely fails to produce any artistic effect. We hope, too, that in Mrs. Perk's next novel she will not allow her hero to misquote English poetry. This is a privilege reserved for Mrs. Malaprop. A constancy that lasts through three volumes is often rather tedious, so that we are glad to make the acquaintance of Miss Lillian Euford, the heroine of Mrs. Houston's A Heart on Fire. This young lady begins by being desperately in love with Mr. Frank Thorburn, a struggling schoolmaster, and ends by being desperately in love with Colonel Dallas, a rich country gentleman who spends most of his time and his money in preaching a crusade against beer. After she gets engaged to the colonel, she discovers that Mr. Thorburn is in reality Lord Netherby's son and heir, and for the moment she seems to have a true woman's regret at having given up a pretty title. But all ends well, and the story is brightly and pleasantly told. The colonel is a middle-aged Romeo of the most impassioned character, and as it is his heart that is on fire, he may serve as a psychological pendant 
to La Femme de Courant Anne's. Mr. G. Manville Fenn's A Bag of Diamonds belongs to the Drury Lane School of Fiction and is a sort of fireside melodrama for the family circle. It is evidently written to thrill Bayswater, and no doubt Bayswater will be thrilled. Indeed, there is a great deal that is exciting in the book, and the scene in which a kindly policeman assists two murderers to convey their unconscious victim into a four-wheeled cab under the impression that they are a party of guests returning from a convivial supper in Bloomsbury is quite excellent of its kind, and, on the whole, not too improbable, considering that chilling literature is always making demands on our credulity without ever appealing to our imagination. The Great Hesper by Mr. Frank Barrett has at least the merit of introducing into fiction an entirely new character. The villain is Nyctalops, and, though we are not prepared to say that there is any necessary connection between Nyctalopi and crime, we are quite ready to accept Mr. Barrett's picture of Jan van Hoek as an interesting example of the modern method of dealing with life. For pathology is rapidly becoming the basis of sensational literature, and in art, as in politics, there is a great future for monsters. What a nyctalops is we leave Mr. Barrett to explain— his novel belongs to a class of book that many people might read once for curiosity, but nobody could read a second time for pleasure. A Day After the Fair is an account of a holiday tour through Scotland, taken by two young barristers, one of whom rescues a pretty girl from drowning, falls in love with her, and is rewarded for his heroism by seeing her married to his friend. The idea of the book is not bad, but the treatment is very unsatisfactory, and combines the triviality of the tourist with the dullness of good intentions. Mr. Winter is always amusing and audacious, though we cannot say that we entirely approve of the names he gives to his stories. Boodle's Baby was a masterpiece, but Hoopla was a terrible title, and That Imp is not much better. The book, however, is undoubtedly clever, and the imp in question is not a nyctalops, nor a specimen for a travelling museum, but a very pretty girl, who, because an officer has kissed her without any serious matrimonial intentions, exerts all her fascinations to bring the unfortunate loveless to her feet, and having succeeded in doing so, promptly rejects him with a virtuous indignation that is as delightful as it is out of place. We must confess that we have a good deal of sympathy for Driver Dallas of the Royal Horse, who suffers fearful agonies at what he imagines is a heartless flirtation on the part of the lady of his dreams. But the story is told from the imp's point of view, and as such we must accept it. There is a very brilliant description of a battle in the Sudan, and the account of barrack life is, of course, admirable. So admirable, indeed, is it that we hope that Mr. Winter will soon turn his attention to new topics and try to handle fresh subjects. It would be sad if such a clever and observant writer became merely the garrison hack of literature. We would also earnestly beg Mr. Winter not to write foolish prefaces about unappreciative critics, for it is only mediocrities and old maids who consider it a grievance 
to be misunderstood. End of section 47 Some Novels